You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Breaking news, another remarkable development in the spending scandal at the BC legislature. Liberal MLAs walking out of the chamber just a short time ago in protest of the actions of the Speaker of the House. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. The spring session of the BC legislature is ending just like it began with some high drama. A move by the Speaker to reportedly safeguard data from legislature computers prompting that walkout. We'll have more on that in just a moment, but first Richard Zussman explains how it all unfolded. The BC legislature spring session ending the same way it began, in chaos. And all eyes on this man, Speaker Daryl Plekis. News reverberating Thursday through these hallways that the Speaker had cloned the hard drives of computers belonging to senior legislative staff. What I asked for was this, that we have an extra protection with regard to the security of data, including my own. And what is that? It's that simple. The big question is why and why now? The BC Liberals, part of a meeting on Wednesday night following news of the cloned hard drives, Plekis' behavior being described this way. It was very erratic. Uh, it was almost like a stream of consciousness kind of speech and very aggressive. Liberal House Leader Mary Polak taking notes of that meeting and handing out those notes to the media. In it, Polak says that Pleka says he has the ability to walk into any office he wants in the legislature and demand the hard drives. And sadly, we have a speaker who's decided that he is police, prosecutor, judge and jury, and we're saying it's high time that came to a stop. The paranoia so high from the Liberals, a senior staff member sleeping in his office last night to ensure the speaker wasn't trying to access his computer. Plekis' actions all coming after the recently released McLaughlin report. According to the meeting notes, Plekis calling McLaughlin, a former Supreme Court justice, stupid and pathetic. That is absolutely ridiculous. You've heard what I've said. I described her as an eminent jurist. He has taken it personally that she has somehow personally uh, attacked him. Before the final bell in the legislative session, the Liberals moving to replace the Speaker. But Premier John Horgan says he's fine with Plekis in the job, and so is the Green Party. I have confidence in the Speaker. As for whether the public has confidence in the B.C. legislature, what has unfolded over the last 24 hours makes that a lot harder to believe. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Wow, it's been a full day for you guys, Keith. Uh, Keith Baldry live in Victoria with more on the extraordinary extraordinary developments we saw off the top of the show uh, in the legislature yep. in just the last few minutes, Keith. Yeah, just moments ago, the Liberals, uh, each of them, more than 40 of them, one by one, standing on their feet, denouncing the Speaker, raising what's called a point of personal privilege, questioning the behavior and the conduct of the Speaker, that he's violated their rights as MLAs by treating these officers the way he did, by arbitrarily going in and copying their hard drive. So an extraordinary event. And then a number of them walking out when the speaker tried to recognize an NDP member and stop recognizing them. Here's just an excerpt of just a couple of them pretty well re reading the same statement over and over again. I have become aware of behavior and conduct undertaken by the speaker with respect to senior officers and employees of this legislative assembly that I believe to be improper and compromises the ability of those officers to independently perform their duties. 
I have further become aware of activities undertaken by the Speaker, including the seizure of records, including electronic records that I believe constitute improper conduct with respect to my rights as a member of this Assembly and impede my personal freedoms as a member of this Assembly. And the drama continues, guys. I'm keeping an eye on the legislative chamber right now. Everybody's waiting the arrival of Lieutenant Governor Janet Austin to give royal assent to the remaining pieces of legislation. As far as I can tell, the Liberals have left the chamber. There's no opposition members in there other than the Green Party. So it's uh, an extraordinary situation. The Speaker now pretty well isolated from at least half the House. He's also informed the House leaders he thinks the entire police security force at the legislature should be the subject of a police investigation that he wants to uh, conduct under the Police Act. Never seen anything like this before. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, it's the last day of the session and maybe cooler heads will prevail when they come back here in the fall. But as you said, more business to take care of, Keith. So uh, if there are any new developments, we'll check in with you uh, later yeah. on tonight. Thank you. Okay. Day four today in the first degree murder trial of Oscar Arfman, accused of killing Abbotsford Police Constable John Davidson. Today, the court heard from the accused himself. John Wall reports. In an extremely bizarre and unexpected twist, the accused in this first-degree murder trial, Oscar Arfman, took the stand and testified in a voir dire process to determine the admissibility of what could be new evidence in this trial. A surprise witness was first called by the Crown, Deputy Sheriff Paul Cumming, who had escorted Arfman out of the prisoner's box on Wednesday. As the Crown and defense argued whether or not his testimony should be submitted as formal evidence, Cumming testified that after hearing a witness being questioned about what the gunman was wearing, Cumming said he heard Arfman say, I was wearing a black leather jacket and a Harley Davidson hat. What a dangerous F I must be. The defense later called Arfman to testify who said he often mutters to himself and that he was misheard and actually said, it's a Harley Davidson style leather jacket and it sure as F wasn't me. Now, after hearing arguments from both the Crown and defense, Justice Ross said she would need more time to determine whether this would be admissible as new evidence in the Crown's ongoing case. John Hua, Global News. Fifteen badly neglected dogs have been seized from a Fraser Valley breeder. The dogs range in age from under one year to 14 years old. They're all suffering from a wide range of medical and grooming issues, and one of the dogs is pregnant. All 15 dogs are currently receiving emergency medical care in SBCA shelters. They are not up for adoption at this time. Charges of animal cruelty will be recommended. Some last-minute hard bargaining helped keep the flow of goods going at Vancouver area ports. Three hours after a lockout involving thousands of port workers began this morning, it was over. Union members still have to ratify a new labor agreement. And Jill Bennett explains how one of the key issues had the potential to paralyze Canada's shipping trade. The lockout lasted less than three hours, but had many on edge, fearing it could lead to a complete shutdown of Canada's biggest port. We saw ships diverting as early as this Monday, and certainly we would have had um, cargo owners putting in contingency plans probably over the last couple of weeks. Negotiations between the employer and the International Longshore and Warehouse Union had been ongoing for 18 months, but it was the almost 24-hour session with the help of federal mediation that led to the tentative deal Thursday morning. This is the end result that we were looking to achieve all the way along. A negotiated settlement is the 
only way that is uh, the proper way to end the conclusion of bargaining. No details of the, uh, the tentative deal will be released until our membership gets to vote on it. Welcome to the Port of Vancouver. Last year alone, 147 million tons of cargo moved through the port, valued at $200 billion. There are 27 major marine cargo terminals, and the Delta Port website boasts being the first semi-automated facility in the country. While neither side is talking about the details of the dispute, it's believed automation taking jobs is a major point. I think that fear is a legitimate fear. The Ports and BC's success in that gateway to Asia has included both a highly professional trained workforce that continues to grow and also automation. As for those who were already making plans to use other ports, they say the potential shutdown highlights another issue. The whole labour situation points out the need for competition among port terminals. 67% of the country's container traffic comes through those two West Coast ports. That's 67% of the imported consumer goods. 6,500 workers will now get a chance to vote on the deal. In the meantime, it's good news for everyone involved. Ports are open. Let's rock and roll. Jill Bennett, Global News. And the timing of that agreement couldn't be better as a cargo ship transporting dozens of containers of Canadian garbage left the Philippines today bound for Vancouver. Catherine Urquhart has more on what led up to this diplomatic nightmare and what happens to the garbage once it's back on Canadian soil. At Subic Port near Manila, 69 containers of Canadian waste are being loaded onto the MV Bavaria. In all, approximately 1,500 tons of plastic, diapers and electronics are being sent back to this country. There was a process to follow. We needed to make sure uh, the trash was fumigated, um, properly contained um, to meet uh, Canadian laws. In recent weeks, tensions have mounted over removal of the garbage. Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte threatened to dump it all into Canadian waters. He even recalled his country's ambassador and consul's general. Uh, we're going to continue to work on this because this is uh, a situation that is uh, unacceptable and has gone on for far too long. The garbage left Vancouver in 2013 and 2014, sent to the Philippines for recycling. But once there, it was discovered to be falsely labeled, a mixture of household waste. Now, almost six years later, the containers at Manila's Subic port are on their way to Burnaby, where the contents will be incinerated. It'll probably be handled over 10 to 14 days uh, in between regular operating hours, so it can be properly inspected and disposed of. 1,500 tons, so that works out to, I think, $375,000 or around $400,000 is our fees. And then it'll be other costs that the government of Canada would be bearing, uh, such as, you know, it has to be shipped over to the facility, has to be handled, has to be inspected. The private company that originally shipped the containers to the Philippines is now bankrupt, meaning all costs associated with repatriation of the garbage will be picked up by Canadian taxpayers. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Right now, though, it's hard to imagine how a little roadside stand selling jams and salsas would become a big problem. But that's exactly the scenario in a Saanich neighborhood. The woman has, or the woman behind it, has been ordered to shut down by bylaw officers. Kylie Stanton explains why her sweet success may have soured some of the neighbors.
So, you know, we've got your usual favorites, your raspberries, strawberries. The list goes on. The marmalade, absolutely phenomenal. For the past year, Catherine Little has been operating this roadside stand outside of her home in Saanich, doing her best to keep up with the demand. People love it. They know that they can pop up here and pick something up. They talk to us. I've never been more engaged in a neighborhood in my life. But it's hit a sour note with at least three of her neighbours and municipal bylaw officers are taking action on the complaints. Little has been ordered to take down all signage by the end of this month and shut down the stand by June 6. And for what? Like for one person to say, I don't like your sign and I don't like the traffic. Saanich bylaw would not comment on camera today, but did provide this statement. It is important to note that municipal property is not zoned for individual business use and retail sales are not permitted on most residential property. Little acknowledges the stand is technically illegal, but that's not stopping her from fighting back. This is our evidence package that we put together in just a little over 30 days. She's collected hundreds of letters of support and a petition of signatures. You can see it's just page after page. Hoping an exception will be made. Right directly in their policy, it says that no enforcement action is necessary. It's taken on a case-by-case basis and it's their discretion whether or not to use enforcement action. She's doing it for the community. This is what we need more of this around here. We need these little... But it's also personal. The project is something she took on as part of her recovery from PTSD after being severely injured on the job six years ago as a Canada Border Service Inland Enforcement Officer. This is a healing tool for me. This absolutely gives me a sense of purpose. It gets me out talking to my customers and and engaging people again where, where I was in a really dark place for a long time. For now, the only option is to sell at farmers markets or online. But she says that just defeats the purpose of what this little stand has accomplished. It's worth the fight. And I'm, I don't want to give up. I'm, and we're not giving up. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Saanich. It's a heartbreaking discovery for the staff of a Coquitlam hatchery. Thousands of salmon fry found dead. Aaron MacArthur now on what they suspect is the cause and the warning for people who live downstream. When Maureen Weeb went for her daily walk Wednesday afternoon, she was immediately struck by the smell. Looking a little closer, she noticed the dead fish. A few at first, then more. Alarmed, she called the officials. It is sad, and I hope whoever dumped, they have to be responsible. What were they thinking to not know if you're going to put water or chlorine or anything, dump it in the creek? The Hoy Scott Hatchery, home to 5,000 coho fry. Every year, they're released to the ocean to the delight of the community. The damage here, almost total. 80% of the fish are dead. So, and we aren't certain of the health of what's remaining. So uh, we'll be assessing that. And uh, yeah, it's um, a lot of work by very few individuals who are very dedicated. And we're all just really devastated by this. The city of Coquitlam is investigating this spill. It appears whatever the pollutant was, it originated in a residential area upstream. And whatever it was seems to be gone now. There are fish still swimming in Hoy Creek. The city intends to have water samples tested, and DFO will examine the fish. Yeah, I was actually on location here for two hours. I could taste chemical on my tongue. I could smell something. Um, To me, the only comparison I have is bleach. Results from the test might be ready next week. But it might be the case that the pollutant is never known. And everyone reminding homeowners to be careful of what they dump down the drain 
the results can be catastrophic. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And an update tonight on the story that's had all of BC buzzing. I meant that. Absolutely. <laughs> Just looking at that picture freaks me out. The experts have finally identified that giant wasp caught in North Vancouver last month. Linda Aylesworth tells us what it is and whether we should be worried. I have a soft spot in my heart for stinging insects. And that's the way it's always been for Dr. Cameron Late. I was the kid that would go out in the backyard with a jar and then come in and show my mom the wonderful insect that I caught. So it's no surprise that when he saw this video of a large wasp captured in North Vancouver a few weeks ago, instead of having this reaction... Get that thing the hell away from me. <laughs> he thought... Wow, that's a big insect. Uh, probably not from around here based on its size alone. To find out what kind of wasp it was, its captors took it to UBC's Beattie Biodiversity Museum, which, like Dr. Late, suspected it came from Asia. They looked worldwide for people that might have that insect in their region and tried to get an ID from the local experts. The consensus? It's a female Vespa ducalis, or black-tailed hornet, which most probably hitched a ride on a cargo ship out of Hong Kong, where it attacks paper wasps and the young inside their nests. Once they remove the uh, larva from the paper wasp nest, they will take it back to their own nest and uh, chop it up into pieces and feed it to their young. We have paper wasps here too, but the bigger concern, should Vespa ducalis establish here, is what else it might go after. We don't really know the full range of insects that it has the capability to attack. It may actually go after honeybees as well in our territory. Which would be tragic. And one reason why investigations are usually launched when alien species are detected to determine the risk, which in this case seems to be low. The fact that it comes from the tropical areas of the world, it's unlikely that it'll be able to establish in Vancouver area or even in Canada for that matter. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A dramatic marine rescue now in California of a young sea lion near death. SeaWorld crews were called in when people noticed a diver's mask wrapped around the pup's neck. They believe it had been there for weeks and he was malnourished and dehydrated. After they cut off the mask, they treated his neck for an infection and gave him antibiotics. They will monitor his rehabilitation in hopes of returning him to the ocean in the next few weeks. And check out this unusual marine encounter off the Sunshine Coast. I have we're going to see an orca pop up here. Yeah, I've never seen this before. Global viewer Peter Brackett sent us, sent us this video taken off Thormanby Island Wednesday night. As you can see, a sea lion kept trying to get into their boat. And then to everyone's surprise, he eventually did. <laughs> How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? The sea lion stayed for about half an hour or so. Brackett says he didn't see any predators after it, so maybe the sea lion was just enjoying the view in his 55 years on the coast. Brackett says he's never seen anything quite like this. He looks quite comfortable on the boat there. Yeah. Surveillance video shows the terrifying moment a cruise ship collides with a much smaller sightseeing ship on the Danube River in Budapest, instantly capsizing the smaller boat. Seven people are confirmed dead, seven rescued, 21 more believed to have died. Dozens of empty life vests were found along the river. All of the victims are from South Korea. Many passengers on the larger ship say they felt nothing as the boats collided. The tour boat sank within seconds. The cruise ship left with only a few scratches on its bow. 
The captain of the cruise ship has been arrested and a criminal investigation has been launched. Police are planning to raise the sunken tour boat. An American tourist is telling a horrifying story of being brutally attacked while on vacation and a warning her injuries are hard to look at. Her attacker, who she says might have been a resort employee, is still on the loose. What was supposed to be a vacation in paradise for Tammy Lawrence Daly and her husband Chris instead turned into a night of horror. Tammy's face bloodied, bruised, and swollen as she lay in a Dominican hospital. In a Facebook post that's gone viral, she writes, How do you explain to your kids you were almost killed by some random stranger? I just remember thinking at that point I wasn't going to make it home to see my boys and my husband. The couple says the attack happened at the Majestic Elegance Resort in the Dominican Republic. When she left their room for a late night snack, she says she was grabbed from behind, pulled into a maintenance room, then a basement crawl space where she was beaten and choked unconscious. I came to, to um, him beating me and kicking me in the head. Her attacker, she says, was wearing a uniform with the resort logo. I just knew I was dead. This, the rage coming off of this man, you could feel it. It was palpable. Left for dead after eight hours, somehow she survived and spent five days in the hospital. An attacker never arrested. When contacted by NBC News, the Majestic Elegance Resort said it plans to issue a statement in the next few hours. Tammy says she's speaking out now to warn women, never let your guard down, even in paradise. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. Caught on a Michigan police officer's dash camera, a heart-stopping close call involving a toddler. Sergeant Joe Richards is on patrol when he spots the two-year-old girl near a busy road. He quickly pulls over and jumps out, as it turns out, just in the nick of time. <laughs> Richards scoops up the girl just seconds before she runs into the path of a dump truck with tires smoking and poured the brakes on trying to avoid hitting her. The girl's mother, who lives nearby, told state police she briefly lost sight of her daughter. And surveillance video captures the terrifying moment in Russia when winds pick up a bouncy castle with several children inside. As frantic parents chase after it, the castle tumbles toward a busy road, dropping children as it rolls. At least five children were hurt. Three are still in hospital in critical condition. Police say the castle wasn't properly secured and charges could be laid. In Health Matters tonight, Vancouver Coastal Health is raising more concerns about young people vaping on World No Tobacco Day. Health officials say trendy devices and enticing flavors like gummy bear and cotton candy are luring more young people who don't realize that vaping can be a gateway to tobacco use. And they say they're seeing the classic signs of nicotine addiction in young people who vape. I think one of the primary misconceptions is that the vapor is entirely benign. Um, I, I, I hear the expression, it's just water vapor. Um, it, it, it most certainly isn't. There are um, flavorants and other chemicals, and nicotine of course, within the vapor or the aerosol. Um, so, so young people who believe that these products carry zero or minimal risk are are probably not well informed. The experts say 
It's important to reach vapors early because studies show that 99% of people who become addicted to nicotine do so before the age of 26, while the brain is still developing. An international study, including researchers at UBC Okanagan, has found that an illegal drug could help treat post-traumatic stress disorder. The study showed MDMA, also known as ecstasy, helped people who had not responded to other treatments for PTSD. Symptoms decreased after just one treatment, and more than half of the patients no longer met PTSD criteria after just two treatments. They say the findings are promising, but that more research is needed. An innovative change at Royal Columbian Hospital will give premature babies and their mothers a chance to bond in a way they never have before. In what's believed to be the first of its kind in Canada, they've modified a piece of critical machinery to allow moms and preemies to get up close and personal. Hazel is a fun-loving two-and-a-half-year-old child, but how she came into the world was quick and premature. She was born at 23 weeks, so... Um, at that point I hadn't felt her kick. I barely started showing. So there was a major disconnect. Hi Hazel. The team at the RCH NICU ward kept watch over Hazel, who was intubated and on a ventilator for 60 days. Normally her parents wouldn't be able to hold her, but Canadian Innovation came into play to change that. Basically took pieces of equipment in the, in the unit and pieced it together and we bought a bungee cord from Canadian Tire. <laughs> the team created this, an arm and platform called the Reach, allowing the ventilator to be on the outside of the incubator, meaning at day 32, Hazel's parents could hold her. All I could feel was just her skin against mine and it was the most incredible feeling I've ever felt. My husband still says, he's like, I've never seen you smile as big as you did in that moment. Skin-to-skin care contact has been well documented to decrease long-term outcomes like mental health disorders, cardiovascular disease. It increases bonding and attachment and connection, which is the most important thing for these babies. The reach costs $800 to make. RCH needs three more. Their innovation is getting worldwide attention, but it's what it does for families that's most important. I felt like I had my daughter again, whereas before I didn't feel like a mom. So being able to hold her and actually feel like I was her mother was, there's not a whole lot of words that you can even really use to describe it because it's, it's the best moment I've ever felt. Jennifer Palma, Global News. So Disneyland is set to open some kind of new theme park tomorrow based on, I think it's a science fiction movie. Yeah, it could be. Mm -hmm. We'll show you what it's all about right after the forecast. (laughs) Maybe a big deal. You can get there in 12 parsecs if you're on the Millennium Falcon. Very cute. (laughs) Uh, A clue. Let's check in with Christy right now in a nice shot. Although that haze, that smoky haze is back, isn't it? Yeah, so the air quality level for our region right now is at a low level, so not to worry everyone. But yes, you can absolutely see that haze. The further east you go across the province, a number of areas are at a moderate level. Here's a look at the situation. Alberta at a very high level, especially in the Edmonton area today. You can see the significant smoke, and that's spreading into our region as well. But the majority of the flow is east of us. But this haze across southern B.C. is expected to subside tomorrow. So across western 
southern sections. Again, the further east you go across the province, the better likelihood of you continuing to see that haze. But we're hoping for improvement tomorrow. Quick reminder, we are now under a Category 2 open fire ban, and there is a campfire ban in the northwestern corner of the province. Category 2 means that you can't have, cannot have a fire that's anything bigger than your basic little small campfire. Now, here's a look at the thunderstorms today. An incredible amount of lightning. Uh, we've had a good eight reported so far of new fires in uh, the southern BC area, but I'm sure there's more we just haven't even gotten to. So now 10 uh, fires across the province because of lightning. Still, though, person-caused fires are the most, and we've had uh, more, I think we've had 12 new ones uh, in the past two days just person-caused. So please be careful. This weekend is going to be gorgeous, but you just need to take care. Across the north to more, you're going to see more cloud. That's good news. This area needs that cloud and the cooler conditions, whereas southern BC, it will be hot and dry again, although we will see thunderstorms again tomorrow afternoon, but it will shift slightly further east, so the Okanagan Valley and then more so in through the Kootenai region. For our area, two very sunny days on the way. We will see a little bit of marine cloud, but that would be about it. And we'll see highs in the 25, 26 degree range away from the water. And here's your weather window for tonight. Just near Lillooet, so along Highway 99 as you're heading towards Pemberton. A lovely shot. Thanks to John for that with the blue sky. Mm-hmm. little part of the highway there. That is gorgeous. Thanks, Christy. Well, it is finally about to open the billion-dollar theme park that's taken five years to build. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is now open. (laughs) Disney brought out the big guns for the unveiling of its Star Wars park. George Lucas, Billy D. Williams, Mark Hamill, and Harrison Ford. It's the biggest ever expansion of Disneyland. More than five hectares of attractions and one major ride focused on the legendary Millennium Falcon. Every time you ride the ride, you're gonna have a slightly different experience depending on which role you're, you've taken on and also who else is in your flight, how you guys are working together. The attraction already so popular, Disney is limiting admission to people who are staying in its hotels. And even those lucky ones can only stay for four hours a day. Overstay your welcome, and you'll be politely but firmly escorted out by a stormtrooper. A second Galaxy's Edge is opening later this summer in Florida's Disney World. I'd kind of like to be escorted out by Yeah, right. see what that's like. It's really stormtroopers were the worst shots in the universe. That's yeah. true. Like, they never hit anybody. Um, I wonder if they have the bar and the band. And the band, They have yeah. blue milk. Okay, we got to have the band with that little yeah, guy with yeah. a weird face mm-hmm. and uh, playing some sort of a clarinet thing. A little, Sorry. as our director... No one's ever called me that before. ...producer says, a little ray of sunshine between the two of us. I like this. Rare that I get called that. Anyway. <laughs> no, you are. Yeah. You are very much the star in our world. <laughs> See? What I'm doing there? Okay. We never say it publicly. But yeah. now no, we, we should. Think. We should really say it more often. Our producer's really going to yell should. at us any second. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow night when the Whitecaps play Toronto, they will honor members of the 1979 Soccer Bowl Championship team. 7 o'clock game time. Come early because you can see the celebrations. And most of them will be there. In fact, they were at Whitecaps practice today to meet the 19, or make that the 2019 version of the team. And they left quite an impression on Russell Tybert. 
the way I feel about the Whitecaps and this organization as a whole is what this 79 team brought here today. You could tell what it means to them. You know, it's not just a championship. This is something that they, they live and breathe. The Whitecaps are a team that they love. And, and the championship didn't mean something just for one year. This is a championship that we're celebrating 40 years later. Uh, if there was ever a time to win a game for someone or something, it's, it's, uh, it's tomorrow against Toronto FC. Uh, it's a Canadian team. It's a rivalry game for us. And, uh, you know, we owe it to the 79 This year, the BC Lions are having a few exchange students at their training camp. A couple of Mexican football players are in Kamloops working out with Los Leones. The uh, CFL... I know. Very <laughs> bilingual. Si, gracias. Uh, the CFL wants to do this with a number of countries who have football leagues. At first glance, they don't look any different than any other football player looking for a spot on the Lions roster. But upon further review, Senior Richarte and Senior Alvarez are breaking new ground for Mexican players. For the first time ever, the CFL held a draft this past winter for players from the fledgling Mexican Football League, and both were chosen by the Lions. Buena recepción de Gerardo Álvarez, otro de los jugadores que estará coach allá en Canadá. I couldn't believe that. It was a dream becoming true, as I have been saying all this time. Um, a gift from God, that a blessing. The Mexican Football League plays NFL rules, and the quality is pretty good. But even the best players in that league admit it is a big step up coming to the CFL and taking throws from an all-star like Mike Riley. It's a big quarterback and. Uh, the experience for, for, for playing with, with us is awesome. You wonder if it's just a publicity stunt to get some guys in here, but that's not the case. I mean, these guys can play. You know, they're maybe a little bit undersized, but uh, they know how to play football. They've immersed themselves in the playbook. They don't really look out of place. Like, I mean, if you didn't know they were Mexican players, you wouldn't know that you just think we just got some small receivers out there. They do well catching the ball. Their English is very well, so they understand the playbook. Geraldo Alvarez is considered one of the best receivers in Mexico. He's 30 years old now and is hopeful he might be able to crack the Lions roster either this year or very soon. But even if he doesn't, it's important he leave a good impression. Could be the players in the, in the, the league that we can open doors to the rest of the generation of the next, the next guys that are behind the cross uh, come to and try to for CFL. But if you come in here and you work hard and you're willing to learn mentally, you can, you can do a lot of great things. So they got all that, so they got a chance, you know. These guys have fit right in. If they're missing one thing from home during this camp, it's been some authentic Mexican cuisine. Haven't had to Taco Bell or Taco Bell? <laughs> uh, no, that's not, real, no. that's not real Mexican? No, no. no. You tried? No, same. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right, the big Canadian flag is on hand in Toronto Raptors and Warriors. Game one, here we go. Kawhi Leonard starts it off, well, for himself, with a three. That's what you want to see. Here's what you want to see even more so. Other Raptors scoring. Marcus Gasol for the tray. But the Warriors have a guy who can hit three-pointers, too. Steph Curry, who had 11 points in the first quarter. And they also have Clay Thompson, who can also take it to the rack. Yes, there's no such thing as traveling in the NBA, as you know, Chris. Especially if you're a star. That's Fred Van Vliet. And Toronto led by four after one. They lead by five now in the second quarter. Well, this was scary last night. Albert 
Almora Jr. That foul ball hits a small girl, and he sees it. We're not sure yet how she is. They're not saying. We hope she's okay. We think she's going to be okay, but that's not official. But there is his reaction after it happened. Even the catcher couldn't look. He was distraught, and he had this to say after the game. Just the way life is. As soon as I hit it, the first person I locked eyes on was her. So, uh, with God willing, I'll, I'll be able to have a relationship with this little girl for the rest of my life. But uh, just prayers right now. And that's all I really can control. And as we said, the family is not releasing anything just yet. The memorial, which is Jack Nicholas's tournament, Jordan Spieth. Didn't expect this to go in, but he'll take it. He's a six under, one behind Ryan Moore at seven under. Tiger Woods has won this event five times. Had a good finish today. A few birdies down the stretch, including one right here because of this tee shot. Ah, there you go. He's at two under par after 18. They wanted a public viewing party, and they got it. This is a live shot of the Raptors viewing party at the Tinseltown Cineplex Theater in Vancouver. The company bringing We the North fever to Raptors fans from coast to coast. It looks like a full house in the theater for game one of the NBA Finals underway in Toronto tonight. First time ever the finals have been held in a Canadian city. They're a little subdued right now. Except for that one guy in the, the one chair. guy's clapping. He's it's not Isn't that exactly <laughs> Jurassic Park outdoors in Toronto? <laughs> but it's what is we've it? got. It's what no, we've it's got interesting. Here. Those two people down low ate the popcorn at the same time. Did you notice that? Oh, we'll in have tandem. to see the replay. Yeah. Now, while we uh, in Vancouver said it was too late to secure a venue for an outdoor cheering zone, there are dozens of other cities joining the Raptors bandwagon hosting their own versions of Jurassic Park. Global's Mark Carcassel reports. <laughs> The North, as Raptors Nation is known, is growing. With the team's success in these playoffs, we now the North, South, East, and West of Toronto. The legions that gather at Jurassic Park have inspired offshoots all over. In Brampton, it's Jurassic Square. In Mississauga, where the D-League affiliate Raptors 905 play, Celebration Square has become Jurassic Park West. Durham Region calls itself Jurassic East, with Game 1 viewing parties planned in Whitby and the Pickering Recreation Complex. I think it's awesome. I mean, I think it's obviously like a good opportunity you know, to bring the town together and you know, have some fun. Not all of them will be ready for Game 1, but according to MLSE, 27 cities have sought and received approval to host viewing parties. 26 of them in Ontario, from Ottawa to Windsor. Even Almonte, home of basketball's inventor James Naismith, is getting into the mix. The 27th city? Out East in Halifax at Rogers Square. This is just an opportunity for us to show the atmosphere that we can bring to this city and uh, to, to bring a bunch of people together. One city that's on that list just to get permission, although they don't have any plans to host a party right now, is Hamilton. City officials say that right now they're too preoccupied planning on hosting the RBC Canadian Open to host their own version of Jurassic Park. It matters here too, just as it matters in Burlington and Brampton and Mississauga and all those other places. And I. It's a missed opportunity. Scott Radley voiced that opinion in his local column Thursday morning, but says there is hope for the Hammer. I'm hearing there's a chance something could happen, not at City Hall, but somewhere in town for Game 2. That remains to be seen. Way out west, meantime, the city of Vancouver, who once had Canada's only other NBA team, considered staging its own party, but backed off, citing a lack of adequate venues. But that's okay. Everyone else will just have to cheer for them. Mark Carcassel, Global News. Kind of strange that... Uh Drake is wearing a Curry jersey tonight. but He's wearing his dad's it. jersey. 
because his dad, Del Steph Curry, yeah, Steph, Steph Curry's dad, Del Curry, played three years with the Toronto Raptors from 99 to 2002. And as we mentioned last night, that's because Steph Curry and his brother Seth grew up partially in Toronto mm, because of that. There, right? They went to school. So I think it's done to sort of rub it in Steph Curry's nose. What, a little bit. Drake doing that? I know. <laughs> Can't be true. Weird. Yeah. It doesn't sound like him. Okay, now you can turn over and watch the game. <laughs> Have a good night, everyone. Good night.